Hello and welcome to Inside the Artist Studio. My name is Sean Davis Newton here as per usual for the Cups and Cakes Network. Also on the show today is Boy Golden, uh, a fantastic, uh, we'll call him country adjacent uh, musician out of Winnipeg. His 2021 record, The Church of Better Days, has been uh, one of my favorites these past few weeks. Of, of course, you'll get to hear a little taste of that at the end of the episode. But uh, we, we talk a lot about his, uh, his uh, childhood hatred of country music and how he's kind of come back around and it's one of his favorite things now. Uh, we talk about meditation. We talk about, uh, we talk about the sad loss of three Dodge Caravans. Uh, of course, there is some foul language in this episode, so listener beware. And of course, you can find other episodes of this podcast, as well as other audio, video, and written content over on the Cups and Cakes Network website. That's cupsandcakespod.com. One more time for everybody in the back, that's cups, the letter N, cakespod.com. Here's Boy Golden. Yeah, I'm, I'm Boy Golden from Winnipeg. Excellent. Well, uh, yeah. Thanks so much for coming on the show. It's uh, I've I've been uh, I've been listening to your record kind of on and off for the past many months now. So it's uh, it's nice to get you on the show. Um, this is, of course, inside the artist studio. Uh, so we're gonna start off with a little rapid fire, and then uh, and then chat about uh, the record a whole bunch in the second half, and uh, wrap up with a with a track off of Church of Better Days. So uh, without any further ado, we'll uh, we'll get rolling. Nice. I'm actually inside. I'm inside my studio right now. So we really are inside the artist's studio. Yeah, yeah. I I am inside mine as well. So this is, uh, you know, not the first time we'll say that that title is actually correct, but uh, among the few times that it is correct. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Uh, very first rapid fire question. Then, do you have a a, a dish that you cook or bake that that uh, people associate with you? Yeah, I mean, I'm a big uh, noodle guy. I went to Japan with my first band when I was 21, and that's just some of my favorite food ever. So I cook a lot of different Japanese noodle dishes, and sometimes I even make the uh, okonomiyaki, like the uh, cabbage yeah, yeah. pancake thing that they do. It's really delicious. Um, yeah, I would say people associate me with noodles and actually, you know, even in my artist life, people associate me with craft dinner, which is another type of noodle. So <laughs> yeah, it's all about the noodles then. Or is, is the, the Japanese stuff that you cook, is it, is it fairly like labor intensive or preparation intensive, or are you at a point where you can kind of throw something together pretty quick? I have a few different standard dishes that I can throw together very fast. Oh, and okay. like I've got the the sauces are memorized and like I don't know and I just kind I just now I don't really measure anything I just do it by a sense of like I taste the sauce and see how it's tasting and you know yeah yeah do you prefer tea or coffee I'm a coffee guy but my roommate I I just moved into a new place and my roommate is a major tea drinker. She's drinking tea all the time. And it's got me on the tea train a little more. And I think it's good because, you know, you can drink a hot beverage that isn't caffeinated. But I, I started my day at a diner this morning with about six or seven cups of coffee. So <laughs> Okay, yeah. 
Do you, do you, yeah. do you find that you're like kind of past the point of being able to overdo it? Like, uh, Oh yeah. <laughs> no, it, I've been drinking, I've been drinking coffee religiously since I was like 15 years old. My first job was, uh, dishwashing at this like cafe slash restaurant. And I started drinking coffee there at 14 and my parents are both absolute coffee fiends. So <laughs> Like it was pretty pretty easy access to caffeine throughout high school, and then I it's just continued on, and and now the unfortunate reality is that uh, if I don't get some coffee in me by about noon, I get a headache, and then I get grumpy, and I'm sometimes I'm like, oh, why am I so grumpy? Why does my head hurt? Ah, yeah, sure enough, you just gotta have a quick <laughs> cup of joe. Yeah, yeah. Do you do you take some joy out of like the preparation or like the process of of making coffee, or do you just kind of like? you know, throw some grounds yeah. in the machine and go for it. That's more my style. I'm uh, many, many, many of my friends are very particular coffee drinkers and they've got aero presses and all these sorts of different ways of making coffee. Personally, I make coffee in a percolator. Yeah. So yeah, I just put the water in the bottom, put the coffee in the top and then put it on the stove and it, I like the way it tastes. It always just reminds me of camping like every day. So I like that. Oh yeah. Yeah. What's the yeah. uh, what's the weirdest job you've ever had? Oh man, I've had so many jobs <laughs> before <laughs> doing this. Um, the weirdest, I uh, worked at a car dealership, and I was I started out uh, detailing cars, which is you know actually you know, decent work. It's kind of fun, but then I kind of. I switched and then I was working in the marketing department and then next thing you know I was organized there was a big this was in Brandon Manitoba where I grew up yeah and there's a big bridge there that's that goes over the river and the car dealership is right beside the bridge and this one year it flooded and then there was huge traffic pileups every single day by the bridge and so the car dealership was like how are we going to take advantage of this <laughs> and then <laughs> somebody had the idea that because I was a musician, we should build a little stage and then get a little band together and play uh, <laughs> music to the people in the cars. And I was like, okay, sure. That sounds fun. Sounds better than like detailing cars. Uh, but then the caveat to that was that this was at a Kia dealership. And I don't know if you remember, I don't know why you would, it's only in my brain, <laughs> but, uh, for a long time they were doing, uh, their ad campaigns had these hamsters in them that were, you know, they were just like hamsters okay. or whatever. It was kind of an Alvin and the Chipmunks sort of vibe. Yeah. So the guy who owned the car dealership bought these gigantic hamster heads and, we all dressed up in suits and wore these big-ass hamster heads and tried to play our instruments. They were so hot. This was like June, July. Oh it was not a good gig. It, and it was really, really weird. And I, was, and I was very embarrassed that I was making my friends do that with me. <laughs> so. I know uh, my, my brother, my older brother's working at a car dealership in Saskatoon. And similar thing around Christmas time, they had asked him like, hey, you're a musician, so put together a band and we're going to film this video. And they, the owner of the dealership wanted to sing uh, uh, the John Lennon War is Over song. And they ended Ooh, up... that's kind of cringy already. <laughs> yeah, except at the end of the song, instead of saying, 
you know, war is over if you want it. They just repeated Oakwood Nissan, Oakwood Nissan. It was, uh, it's, it's on YouTube somewhere. It's the greatest thing I've ever seen. It's so rough. Yeah, that's, that's rough. That is rough. I love, I love it though. I mean, I love it, (laughs) but it's rough. (laughs) What's, uh, what's the first car you ever owned? The first car I ever owned was a 1998 Dodge Grand Caravan. The second car I ever owned was a 2004 Dodge Grand Caravan. Yeah. And the third car that I owned was a 2005 Dodge Grand Caravan. Perfect. Yeah, I'm, I was in the Dodge Caravan family for a little while there myself. Yeah, and then I bought my favorite car that I've ever had. I loved it so much. It was this 1995 Toyota Previa. Okay. It's very very cool weird looking car it's very space age but out of the 90s and it just really connected with me on like a deeper level that i did not know that you could have with cars but it really did but then recently in march i got into a really nasty car accident and destroyed it on the highway and luckily i was mostly fine yeah yeah uh very fine considering how bad the car accident was i was very lucky but uh now i don't have a car anymore yeah, R.I.P. Uh, Toyota Previa, is that it? <laughs> yeah, rest in peace, Previa. I have a tattoo of it, so it lives on. <laughs> if you could uh, if you could put together a, a lineup of, let's say, three bands playing at uh, your favorite club uh, and give yourself a ticket to go see that show, uh, what kind of bands would you pick? I'd probably just put together, like, my favorite local bands yeah, yeah. in Winnipeg, <laughs> you know? I'd put together Ridley Bent, who I'm a huge fan of, and we'd do this all at Times Changed. We would do Ridley Bent, and then we would do... Um, man, it's tough. There's so many good artists. <laughs> I'm blanking. I'm blanking here. We're going to do Ridley Bent. We're going to throw Lucinda Williams on the bill. Okay. She's, yeah. just, she's rolling through town, and she comes to play Times Changed. So Ridley Bent and Lucinda... And then I'm gonna go see I'm gonna go see my friend Roman's band. Also, they're gonna close down the night. It's gonna be a weird night of music. <laughs> <laughs> what what is what is like your favorite place to go see a show like that in Winnipeg? Maybe uh, you know without the Lucinda Williams. What's like your favorite small uh, small venue for something like that? My favorite small venue is Times Changed. Uh, I used to work there, and I love it. It's a great spot. But also, recently, there's a new small venue in town called Park Alleys, and we've been hanging out there a lot because the beer's really cheap, and they really <laughs> like us, and they have music there often, and uh, some some pals have like a weekly gig there, so we hang out there all the time. So that's our, those are our two main hangs these days, yeah, times, yeah. And, times in the Park Alleys, yeah. Is there a social media account that, that brings you some joy when you when you scroll past it? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always a little bit upset to be scrolling on social media, I have to admit. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I do have some pals who are hilarious on the internet, for sure. Um, and also, it, there are some musicians that I like to follow on the internet. I follow Charlie Hunter. He's oh, an yeah. amazing oh, yeah. guitar player. And he's always posting cool shit. Uh, and actually, you know what? Eh, maybe there are a few. Actually, there's a I follow a few like uh, classic country music accounts that just like post 
old videos of like old country music television shows and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And that's the sort of thing that that you can find on YouTube, but it's not always easy to find everything. And uh, so I like those accounts too. Uh, do you prefer sports, board games, or video games? I would have to say video games, I guess. But I have to say that I don't really do any of those things. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it's funny. For, when I started asking that question, people were generally had pretty strong feelings about one or the other. And then the last few I've done, it's been like, yeah, I don't know. None of those things, really. I, I guess what, what what makes you say video games over the other two, then? Well, I like board games, um, but I really like card games. Right, like, okay. Card games I'm quite into, but that's not really a board game. And then sports, it's like, I like doing solo sports, but I'm really, really not very talented in that department. <laughs> and that's why I like doing solo sports. I don't like anyone else having to rely on me to do anything with any sort of competence. Yeah, yeah. And video games are just like, there is some really great video games out there. And I don't own a system. I don't own a TV. I don't even own a, like, a screen besides my work computer. So I don't play them very often but when i do i usually have a great time <laughs> and growing up i did have video games and i really loved them yeah yeah what what were like the the classics you remember from from your childhood in terms of games i mean i was obsessed with nhl 05 okay yeah <laughs> but then i loved like assassin's creed and fallout and any sort of like role-playing game like that yeah yeah uh, do you have a hobby or pastime that uh, that you surprised yourself by by getting into? Hmm. Good question. I mean, I have a lot. I have some interests, and they're all pretty focused. I don't really consider any of them a hobby in a way. Yeah, Is yeah. Is that a weird thing to say? No, no. I, again, actually, I, I talked to. I did an interview with Stephen Lamke from You've Changed Records last week, and and we had a big long discussion about this where hobby has a weird connotation to it, I think, as opposed to just, like, uh, interests, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah, like, I don't... I mean, music is a hobby for a lot of people, but that's a pretty big part of my life at this point, so it would be hard to call it a hobby. Yeah, yeah. And then everything... Like, I don't... <laughs> I don't do that much else. I do a lot of reading, and... I do yoga and I meditate every day and that's pretty much my day. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. And I, yeah. And then I guess if I had a, had to have a hobby, I, my, my dad sails Hobie cats. They're a two hold sailboat. Okay. On a, uh, from, they're like, I don't even, I, I'm sure they do make new ones, but like we're sailing these old boats from like the seventies. Yeah. So that they're, they're, ch they're cheap to, to buy. You just have to be able to maintain them. And I would consider that maybe a hobby, but again, I don't really have, I don't really spend enough time doing it to really consider it that, so. Yeah, yeah. If, if you don't mind me asking, what, what, what kind of meditation do you do? Like what, uh, I know there's a whole bunch of different kind of practices. Yeah, no, I don't mind at all. I love talking about it. I, uh, I came to it in like a pretty classic Western way of like, uh, doing some doing just like basic mindfulness right um but more in the last couple of years i've uh gotten quite interested in a certain type of zen buddhism 
I've been studying it with the Kwanum school of Zen. Okay. Uh, they're it's a Korean based school, but they're they're really based out of Berkeley, California. Um, so I so now when I sit, I sit zazen, which is just the Zen style of meditation. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, I know. Um. Yeah, because I I kind of had a a similar thing. Yeah, where you come to that practice through a degree of mindfulness, and then uh, I had read this David Lynch book about transcendental meditation, which is it's kind of interesting, just because. When you start to do that, I think it's easy to have some misconceptions about what it's about or what the point is. Um, but it, it's quite useful. It's it's really really quite interesting to me. Yeah, it's like arguably the most important part of my day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we've got uh, got a couple. Uh, Two questions left on the rapid fire. Is is there an album that spurred your love of music? I don't think there was one album in particular, but I there is like an album that has been particularly influential to me over the years, and that's J.J. Kale's Naturally. Okay. I don't know when the first time I heard it was. It was always played in my house. But at a certain point in my adult life, I came back to it and really... It, it really informed a lot of my creative decisions especially with this project i i always find it interesting when when you know like because there are records for me that i remember my parents playing like around the house when i was a kid and then you know didn't listen to for years and years and years and then all of a sudden you come back to it and it's like very instantly familiar (laughs) um yeah it's just interesting i guess the the way that those things can have an impact on like your taste even though you don't necessarily like know that that has happened if that makes sense oh yeah i mean everything you listen to ends up having an impact on your taste but i i'm sure that what you listen to when you are a kid is massively influential whether you like it or not and (laughs) i think i spent like a lot of my teenage and like early adulthood years trying to like get away from the things that I grew up with. And then when my, when I feel like my artistic practice really started getting good was when I went back to folk music, old country music, stuff that I actually grew up with, like real and Celtic music, bluegrass music. Yeah. Stuff that I grew up listening to when I came back to it, it held so much more to me. And it felt like a cultural tradition that I could contribute to in a, in a way that actually made sense. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know, because I, I went to jazz school for a year and, and like, tried to play all sorts of different types of music. But nothing makes me feel like country music yeah, at the yeah. end of the day. And I hated it growing up. I hated it. But it was, it was playing often, you know? It was in- it's interesting. And now I love it. Like, I don't know. I don't know why. I think you have to find your own way into some of that kind of music, but yeah, yeah. Uh, very last question then: uh, Are there any uh, new or up and coming bands and artists in uh, your neck of the woods that uh, you want to give a shout out to? Yeah, definitely. Um, if anyone's listening that wants to check out some good music, check out Fontaine. 
She plays in my band. She's one of my best friends of all time. She's got her first EP coming out this year, and another full album after that. And she's just a total gem. And she's going to be all over everywhere soon enough. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, you'll know her. And so she's really awesome. Uh, I've really been liking this band Virgo Rising in Winnipeg. It's kind of like Alex G or Elliot Smith or something. Yeah, yeah. And they're really great. Uh, yeah, check out those bands. Well, uh, swinging on into the second part of things here, then I, uh, I I wanted to go through, I guess, a little bit like the beginnings of of Boy Golden as a as a project, because um, I know you like, I guess what what were you doing like music wise pre the Boy Golden stuff? Yeah, still playing music, lots of music. I yeah yeah I graduated high school a little bit early and when I was seventeen and. Then went on the road with this, with my first band. They were called the Middle Coast, and we toured like a lot, like seven hundred shows while we were together, and all over Canada, lots of can- Canadian shows. Yeah, yeah. And then bit into the states and toured in Japan, as I mentioned. And then that band broke up, as bands do. And I played as a side musician with a bunch of different artists: um, Michael Bernard Fitzgerald in Calgary. And then the Bros Landreth here in Winnipeg. And we just toured a bunch. And I released my first solo album somewhere in there. And that was uh, not a good experience. I put a lot of (laughs) pressure on it. And then ended up sort of abandoning the project altogether after I released it. And just really focusing on on, uh, just like playing in other people's bands and, and recording other people's music and mixing other people's music and just like just working basically and then in my spare time i would just make music for fun just record stuff for fun by myself or with a couple pals yeah and that is what boy golden came out of it just came out of those sessions that i was just doing for fun is do you, do you think of it as being like a fairly collaborative thing or or is yeah okay i do for sure and i mean even sometimes i do a lot of the recording is just me playing various instruments. But for me, where it always comes together is when I put another, bring other people into the room and put them on the track too. But, you know, it's always evolving. I'm, I'm not, I don't, not big on like deciding what the project is going to be. You know, it's right. going to, it's going to be whatever I want it to be. It's mine. So I can do what I wish. But, uh, but the Church of Better Days album absolutely would not, would be nothing without the people that are on it. And as far as the show goes, like, I I lean on my band extremely heavily because they're all technicians. Like they're incredibly talented, and they uh, it's just an absolute joy to play play music with them. I have no desire to play solo anymore. I'm bringing that band wherever I go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'm always curious just because I've I've gone through a, f- a few uh, I. I guess different naming conventions for bands or for the music that I do. And there's kind of like this weird minor difference between being a solo artist and billing yourself as like your name, but still working on the songs kind of collaboratively with other people or, or, you know, having a band that plays with you versus having what is functionally kind of like, you know, a solo project. Um, 
where it has a band name. Like there is something that implies, I think, more collaboration or, or I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I guess then what is the idea of, yeah, using a name like Boy Golden instead of just making it, you know, your name and, and still kind of collaborating in the same way? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's essentially just an extension of the art, of the art I wanted to make. Like, I wanted more freedom to write about whatever I want, more freedom to be a bit of a caricature, caricature like, on stage. Yeah, yeah. To have a bit of a caricature, character on stage and to, to write songs that are personal but give me the freedom to, to make stuff up or, you know, exaggerate or yeah, whatever, yeah. minimize, whatever I want to do. I know, it just it makes me feel like... It makes it, my options feel really limited, and, and still now I'm discovering different ways that I feel like I can write for this project that all make sense to me. Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, I, w- I wanted to talk about, too, the, I- the idea of the Church of Better Days. Um, how, how did that kind of start coming into play as you were putting the record together? Like, uh, yeah, I guess, what is that conceptual like framework yeah, well, it started out of a song. I wrote the song Church of Better Days first. It was about a experience I had meeting this guy who was playing in a gospel band who was wicked, and we hung out all night and smoked a ton of weed and talked about life and music, and it was just like, it was, a, I don't know, it was like a, just an in- interesting experience that really stuck with me, and about six months later, I wrote, I wrote the song. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, there's, some, there's more here, because the song is both like, funny and like instructional and it's a story but it's also got a bit of my own actual philosophy (laughs) right yeah yeah so i was like okay this song i think is also the the title of the record and actually you know it's kind of more of like a concept (laughs) so i i call the church of better days is like that is what happens when me and my pals get together and make music together and I just always want it to be fun and not stressful and just pure music making, just joy, you know? I, I, I sense that, yeah, I, I mean, I guess you said it yourself. A lot of this kind of comes in contrast to putting out a, a solo record for the first time prior to this. Um, I guess one of the takeaways is obviously, you know, you want to have fun doing it and you don't want to put a ton of pressure on yourself but like, are are there other things that you took out of that experience being difficult that have kind of changed the way that you approach even just like writing songs or collaborating with other people? Yeah, lots, for sure. Like the number one thing, and this relates to everything that we've talked about, but it's, it's just that art exists outside of the systems in which it ends up in uh like you don't you're not making songs as like a 16 year old because well hopefully you're not because you think that you're going to do something with them or because they're going to be something (laughs) or do something for your career or yeah or even because other people like them you're you're doing it because you need to and because you're trying to figure out how to express yourself and figure out how to say what you want to say and so i really strongly believe that if that everything has to start with that. It starts with art and then goes from there. Like the marketing of the art has to 
for me extend directly out of whatever the actual art is. And that that's not always possible, but for me it's that's how I see it anyways and I guess that that's been the main thing is that I just I'm not aiming to I'm not really aiming to please anyone other than myself and I just have to have faith that if I like it, someone else with similar taste to me is probably also going to like it. Right, yeah. I, I wanted to touch a little bit on on the sense of humor across the whole record. Just, um, y- you know, I, I know that often when I go to shows and when I, like, see a band do something that's instrumentally really cool, I will, like, laugh at that. Like, it's an expression of appreciations in in some way. Totally. And yeah, I was just, like... a funny reaction, but that's so true. Yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, you see, like, the drummer do something really neat, and it's like... It, like it's not funny but laughing feels like a normal good reaction <laughs> um yeah I, totally I, I was curious i guess about how you think about like humor or uh or, or yeah i guess uh like wit even in in songwriting and in uh the stuff that you do I'm yeah it's it's essential to me <laughs> and in other people's songs too I just love to hear it when someone can write a song that expresses what they're trying to say and then also make me laugh it's like that's how I want to feel like it's I just want to feel everything all the time like yeah yeah it's like cuz it yeah you know like and my first record just took itself so seriously you can still <laughs> find it on the internet under Liam Duncan but it just is so self-serious, and they were the first songs I'd ever really written, and it's good, but it's just like one big feeling, and it doesn't really teach you anything, and it doesn't like zoom out of the one perspective ever, and I just got really tired of that in my own writing. So, and and really, like I'm a pretty, I'm actually a pretty positive person in general, and like deal with life through humor partly and I think that that's really normal and a lot of people do it and I love it when it's in songs and some of my heroes like John Prine wrote hilarious meaningful songs you know how do you feel about like I know I've seen uh, even just some bits of press for Boy Golden stuff that talk about this record as like a country record which doesn't seem entirely off base but doesn't also seem to be entirely right either um how do, you, how do you think about using uh parts of that genre in your music like are, are you trying to go for a specific sound in that way or does it just kind of come out uh yeah i'm never really trying to go for something but i i'm a huge country music fan and so it definitely comes through and someday i will make a hard country album absolutely <laughs> like old school yeah you know it's gonna happen so I, I got no problem with that it's it's not really what it is but like whatever you call, call it what you want it you know <laughs> it doesn't really make a difference to me i i think of it as like it's like rock and roll you know like yeah. kind of a little like how rock and roll used to be when it had country music was you know, inflected in there, maybe a bit of Southern rock vibes or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm from the prairies, so (laughs) not quite. (laughs) I've asked this question to a few different country folks that have come on this show, but what do you think is the connection between like the Canadian prairies and our fascination with country music in this, in this uh, part of the world? Yeah, that's a good question. I was kind of like, 
thinking about that the other day because my grandpa brought up that uh, in Brandon they started they he remembered when they started CKLQ which was like the AM country station and they played like proper country music like George Jones and such and uh, he remembers how popular it was just amongst all the rural people yeah yeah and it's just that's what it is it's it's like you know kind of working class world music and always has caught a bit of a bad rap for various reasons as being lowbrow or easy or cheap or something right and whatever that's that's (laughs) nonsense like it's it's actually a very beautiful art form obviously pop country music is really messed up now (laughs) and arguably some people would say that pop country has always been like not great you know there's like always been hard country and like pop country coming out of nashville even through the 60s 70s 80s there was the nashville sound and some people loved it and some people hated it and me personally it's not my not my favorite i'm more into like buck owens and you know yeah tulsa sound and stuff but uh there's I'm all. I am a huge George Jones fan, so I do obviously like some of the Nashville sound stuff too. <laughs> yeah. So. I I wanted to talk to you a little bit too before uh, we we get to the end about recording at home. And uh, I mean, a, a drum machine features pretty prominently on all of these tracks, and it seems like a pretty purposeful decision to like not necessarily go for like a you know a full rock band sound in that way. Um why i guess like uh what what is appealing to you about being able to record at home like that and uh and and yeah what's appealing about the drum drum machine in that setting yeah i mean the drum machine was a matter of convenience and inspiration at first it was like i was listening to that jj kale album i referred to earlier quite a bit and uh he uses the drum machine on a few tracks there and i bought the same one and used it uh but then it was just convenience. It's like, you're, I'm, I can record drums quite well, uh, but I need a drummer, and then I need the space, and then I right. need the quiet, and then I need to make decisions about the part. And it's just like, the drum machine was so great because you just turned it on and it just does, you know? And then I just make <laughs> the whole track around that, and it's like a super groovy little machine with no ego. Yeah, yeah. What uh, yeah. what drum machine is it? It's the Rhythm Ace. Oh, okay. It only does like twelve different beats at, and then you just adjust the volume. I mean the tempo. Sorry, you can adjust the volume too. The it's one of those like uh like the Roland style ones. You know, it's like a box with like a like the type of drum machine you would see on an organ, right? It's it's literally exactly from an organ, actually. Gotcha. Okay. Is that, um, do you practice like setting limitations for yourself in that kind of way? Like saying, you know. Yeah, big time. I'm huge on that. Yeah. How, how does that help you, do you think? Uh, well, for example, like the last two records I made, I have two new albums that I made over the course of the last year. Yeah. And they were both made on eight track machines one on an eight track cassette machine and the other one on my eight track quarter inch tape machine okay and having the eight track limitation and the limitation of having to have it on tape and no edits yeah you know just like do it well is like 
amazing. It just puts me in such a more mindful place of what I'm doing. And I love not having the screen. And then the limitation too is great because on that first record, Church of Better Days, which I like, it's a, I, I love it. It's a great record, but yeah. um, I can tell that I made it on something on a, on in Pro Tools because it's like, why the fuck was I doubling the Nashville strung guitar? You only you don't really need one. Why did I double it? You know what I mean? But I can hear that now as just being like I did it I didn't do a good enough job engineering it in the first place, so it sounded thin, so I doubled it. Right. But now I just do a good job of engineering and playing it and then I don't double it and it sounds so much more mature to me and so much more spacious and open. Yeah, yeah. Was was that limitation or like change in workflow that the main appeal behind moving to you know various kinds of tape or is there like a a sonic component too there is a sonic component but that is 100% secondary to the workflow it's really about the process like being able to just go in and work with no screens is really really great and in so many ways it's just so much more tactile like you're you're pushing the faders around. You're making EQ decisions with a real EQ. And um, you're just using your ears, not your eyes. It's really great. Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, do you have a timeline on either of those records yet? Is that uh, something you can talk about at all? Or is it uh, a little bit hush-hush I don't really still? have a timeline yet, but they're both done. Nice. I don't, I, I don't really know when they're going to come out. I'm ho- I, obviously, I would love to put them out next week. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's not up to me, so. Yeah, it's funny. Back to that discussion about, like, you know, separating music from the way that it gets marketed. Boy, it's tough to yeah. sit on that stuff. Like, it, it's, it's, um, it's tough to have something done and then to know, like, oh, yeah, in, like, eight months or whatever, I'm going to, have to go out and play all these songs and talk about it a whole bunch. Um, totally. It's, it's odd, but it's definitely just part of the job. And like, I usually just start working on the next thing. Like that's the key. Just keep yourself, keep, keep yourself curious and interested and just start working on the next one, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I, I'd say that gets us about, to, about to the end of things. Um, we of course feature a track at the end of the episode. Uh, do you know what uh, what song you'd want to play uh, from Church of Better Days? Yeah, play uh, something to work towards. Excellent. Where where did uh, where did this one fall in terms of like? Uh, did you write this closer to the beginning of this uh, the process of making the record, or was this closer to the end? Uh, I wrote this right in the middle when I was just figuring out. Oh, there's something here kind of thing and i just i heard a song by uh his golden messenger okay and i was like oh that's a cool vibe wonder if i could write something kind of like that and then i wrote that song and it doesn't really sound anything like that other song but whatever i really really <laughs> like I, I i really like this song because all my life i've as i was kind of saying earlier i've always wanted to make something funky but i'm just not that funky of a dude <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like this song is a little bit it's a, it's at the very least it's groovy if not funky. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Excellent. Well, we're going to listen to a song called Something to Work Towards from uh the Boy Golden record from last year. That is called Church of Better Days. Uh thanks so much for for coming on the show. It's been a real pleasure chatting with you. 
Hey, my pleasure. Anytime.
When I got nothing on my mind. Inside the Artist Studio is produced by Sean Davis Newton for the Cups and Cakes Network. The featured track, Something to Work Towards, was played with permission from Boy Gold. Thanks to Laundry Week for the use of their song, Nothing on My Mind, from the Grimpy EP, as both our intro and outro music. Inside the Artist Studio is one of the many ways the Cups and Cakes Network highlights Canadian music. Visit our website, cupsandcakespod.com, to browse our audio, video, and written content. That's Cups, the letter N, cakespod.com. Thanks for listening.